And that's the only way that the word's going to get out because there is so much, there is so much misunderstanding out there amongst the giving public. Yeah. And there is such a strong affinity and desire to help animals, but we just have to keep spreading the word. If you want to help animals, you have to send the money to the right place. Because if you don't, the money is going to be hijacked for causes and purposes that you don't agree with, that are very radical and extreme, and may end up in a Caribbean offshore account as opposed to helping a dog or cat, you know, or, or elephant, right? Yeah. Whatever animal you're trying to help. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Animal Tales, where we talk about my favorite subject, animals. Today, I'm going to be joined by a guest who is trying hard to spread the word about the animal rights groups and the amount of money that they take in and how much actually goes to the animals. It's really disturbing. I allude to it on other podcasts. We talk about it, but Jack Hubbard is the CEO for the Center for Environment and Welfare, and they recently ran an article that got picked up as an AP story, Associated Press, about the ASPCA paying their uh, CEO almost a million dollars a year and having millions of dollars in offshore accounts when there's so much need at these local shelters and so much need in the animal world and conservation efforts for uh, exotic animals like elephants and such. They don't fund the local shelters contrary to what you might think. So we're going to get really deep into that and some of the other organizations as well. So I hope you will follow along and really take to heart this great conversation with Jack Hubbard. Hi, Jack. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Heidi. I'm thrilled to have you. It's taken a while to get you on here, but you're a busy man. And um, I'm fine with that because the work you're doing is awesome. And it, I think it's benefiting all of us. So it was it was worth the wait. So right. if you would um, tell the listeners what you're, the Center for Environment and Welfare, the executive director, what is the mission of the organization? Yeah, we created this think tank, uh, as you mentioned, called the Center for Environment and Welfare because I became convinced that the conversation around animal welfare, the environment, um, and a whole bunch of other issues as ESG has really taken off as a big topic in corporate boardrooms and in legislatures, I was really disheartened to see that a handful of very radical, extreme activist groups have really been trying to address what are very complicated science-based issues around welfare, around the environment, and they've been trying to really emotionalize them, right? Like focus on emotions and turn it into fundraising opportunities to not only raise money for themselves, their salaries and their organizations, but to target and threaten a group of people, whether it be farmers, ranchers, veterinarians, uh, zookeepers, conservation experts who are really on the front lines of caring for animals in the environment. And these groups have really been trying to smear them in many different ways. And I just thought that that was wrong. So we created a think tank to share a different side of the story, a more balanced 
science-based side of the story. Um, and I encourage all of your listeners to visit uh, www.environmentandwelfare.com and they can see the information we're putting out there. Yeah, absolutely. Your, um, I knew what you guys, what you're doing, and um, through mutual friends and acquaintances in this world where we're trying to put out real information and data and s- statistics, facts, and uh, not rely upon solely upon emotion. And your website is just such a great resource and so glad to have you guys in here, um, your organization in here, uh, helping us, helping everybody out. One of the, one of the first things I saw, uh, one of the boxes on the website said Americans are confused about animal groups, animal protection groups. Boy, you, that's the crux of it all, isn't it? They do such a good job of ensuring that they're using emotion and preying upon people and raising funds all in the name of animals. Yet, as animal, real animal experts know, it's actually becoming detrimental for animals. Um, give us your thoughts on uh, what that mean, what the what's behind that saying. Americans confused about the animal groups. Yeah, you know, it's probably the understatement of the year, our biggest understatement (laughs) on the website. So there's two big national groups that the public, you know, most of the public is very familiar with. The first is the ASPCA. And our polling suggests that over 80% of the general public believes that the ASPCA is affiliated with local SPCAs and local shelters. They are not. And you've probably seen their ads on television with Sarah McLaughlin and the sad pictures of dogs and cats that tug at your heartstrings. And I gotta tell you, I'm an animal lover. I love cats and dogs. I wanna support them. I don't wanna see animals euthanized in this country. But people need to wake up and learn the truth that the ASPCA is unaffiliated with the local groups, the local shelters, the local rescues, many of whom are on the front lines of actually helping cats and dogs. And instead, you have this national organization that's based in New York City. Okay, they run a very, you know, large and fancy adoption center in New York City, but again, unaffiliated with local shelters. They have $300 million in investments. That's a $300 million rainy day fund. So when you see those ads and they say, we urgently need your money and animals are going to die if you don't give, I ask the question, why do you have $300 million sitting in a bank account? Why do you have $11 million in offshore accounts in the Caribbean? Their own tax returns show this information and then Even more disturbing, and this is the thing that really, really fires people up when you dig into their tax returns. They pay their CEO, Matt Birdshocker, almost nearly $1 million a year. So I ask folks, would you give to a animal group that's unaffiliated with local shelters, that's sitting on $300 million in investments, and that pays their CEO nearly a million dollars a year. And when you share those three facts with people, they say, heck no. And then there's another group, which I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with, the Humane Society of the United States. Different name, it's pretty much the same story. They don't run a single hands-on pet shelter that I'm aware of. 
They raise hundreds of millions of dollars. They're sitting on a ton of investments. They pay their CEO nearly half a million dollars a year. And she is a former lawyer with PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. This is the group that throws, you know, paint on people and is a protesting everybody on any given day. So I just keep telling people, if you want to help cats and dogs, you need to give local, but equally disturbing outside of how these organizations are being run financially with all this money offshore, you know, the Humane Society has $59 million in offshore accounts, five, nine, $59 million. Set all the money aside, all of those issues as a donor. Look at what they really stand for. They've become radicalized and they're targeting farmers. They're targeting the people who produce food in this country. They're targeting pet ownership in many different ways. Yeah. And what they're doing is bad for the country. Absolutely. And just like the ASPCA, they monopolize on the fact that the, your local humane society is uh, not getting any money from them, but they, let, they don't mind people believing that that would be the case. Um, and you made an important point here, and I'll put this in show notes, but the activist web that we always, you know, the folks who are trying to get this information known, utilize of the ties between these organizations, between People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, Humane Society of the United States, ASPCA, and the other groups that are out there, anything Pacelli's involved in, or um, all of those different groups, they have ties, they support each other. I often say... Those of us in the animal world, I come from the performing animal background and exhibited animals. I grew up with elephants, so you know we're there. We're, we were their easiest, biggest target. We were not aligned as a in within. We were a business, but we weren't. We didn't have a trade association or that, and we had the largest land mammals on earth. So, you know, it, it's been crazy. So I come to this with a lot of knowledge and. Um, love what you guys do because you're helping tell that story. So I always say we just need to take the activist playbook, the animal rights groups and use it for good and not evil. <laughs> right, right. Come together, have pro bono attorneys, have these slush funds and such. Um, you know, you, we, you talk about the offshore accounts. I went to the elephant managers conference last year and there was somebody giving a presentation. I believe it was the Asian elephant specialist group, which are, somewhat aligned with the International Elephant Foundation, do amazing work in, uh, in, in situ in countries where the animals are in parks or at least managed by humans in, in, a, in a setting. They were thrilled that they got some, invest, some uh, contribution. I think it was $10,000, $15,000. It, it helped fund some of their, their personnel who were actually there caring for elephants. And I just, uh, this is vivid for me because they had, picture the hanging light bulb that's kind of swinging in an open air with just a roof over it. And then a little refrigerator, like an apartment refrigerator. They got the refrigerator, they got light bulbs to replace that and they fixed a broken down Jeep. And they thought Christmas had come. That's when I become so incensed because you have these groups yelling about animal, you know, they, they want to say animal welfare now. They're, they're using that tact. But they could, they could solve some of the problems we have. They could fund rangers in, in range countries because they don't make anywhere near what people in our country might make. So, you know, the, the 
uh, currency is so different. It's just mind boggling to me. And yes, and then people are contributing. I train dogs and horses, but I do a lot of dog training for people not in show business. I can't tell you how many clients I have to talk out of giving a monthly donation to one of these organizations. And then when I explain it, it helps. But, you know, that's the the door-to-door talk about grassroots. (laughs) It's it's really become, unfortunately, almost big business. Um, Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, when you have a CEO making nearly a million dollars a year, 259 employees making six figures or more, uh, these are massive operations with high executive compensation that really turn heads. I mean, some of these people are making more money than the CEOs of companies. Uh, so they're making a heck of a lot of money. A lot of money is being allocated to pension plans. I think I already mentioned the HSUS $59 million in offshore accounts, ASPCA $11 million in offshore accounts. And these people have so much money that they could actually use to help either dogs or cats yeah. or animals in the wild. And instead they attack zoos and aquariums, right? Oh, yeah. A lot of these animal groups. Meanwhile, zoos and aquariums are on the front lines of conservation. I mean, they put their money where their mouth is, right? Oh, yeah. And then they, they also attack farmers and the food system, and they call everybody under the sun that raises animals in any sort of scale, you know, they call them factory farmers, which I think is a derogatory, you know, term. Of course, I like yeah. to call these animal groups factory fundraisers. Oh, I, I mean, like that's, that. That, that's what they're all about, yeah, right? They're I factory like fundraisers that are just trying to generate money, you know, cover their budget, pay their salaries, generate outrage. And it's sad to see what's happened to the animal movement. How many of these have a favorable rating on like charity navigator or those type of sites? What does that look like at this point? Yeah. A lot of the ratings we're seeing them uh, fall. Uh, as we are spreading the word and other groups are spreading the word. I mean, it's not just us. I mean, there's other people out there making noise about this and that's the only way that the word's going to get out because there is so much, there is so much misunderstanding out there amongst the giving public. Yeah. And there is such a strong affinity and desire to help animals, but we just have to keep spreading the word if you want to help animals, you have to send the money to the right place. Because if you don't, the money is going to be hijacked for causes and purposes that you don't agree with, that are very radical and extreme, and may end up in a Caribbean offshore account as opposed to helping a dog or cat, you know, or, or elephant, right? Yeah. Whatever animal you're trying to help. Yeah, it's so discouraging right now, and you've talked about this a little bit on Zoo Logic, another podcast, that um, I'm disturbed about this. Elephants are always high profile, and the activists love to utilize elephants. One of the biggest fallacies they utilize is the elephant crying, you know, a tear. Elephants don't have tear ducts. They physically can't cry. Um, we covered that last, uh, I think, in my last podcast with the International Elephant Foundation, a great organization who give... 85 to 95% of their donations that come in go right to the animals or to the countries where they're caring for those animals. Um, but the, the, there, there's such a push to get zoos out of, uh, elephants out of zoos at this point. And it's all because of these, these high profile campaigns by these groups. 
and riling up people who mean well and think they're helping animals when, in fact, nothing could be further from the truth. When they send these elephants to sanctuaries, it's a black hole. I think it should be illegal. I say that on this podcast all the time. They don't breed. How do you take a red zone endangered species and drop it into a a pasture in the middle of Tennessee or wherever, and you're not allowed to touch it again. And it's a, a young breeding animal. It's mind boggling. We right, would get, right. we would get in trouble for that. If the industry, the exhibited animal industry or the zoos, right? Where, where, yeah. so that, that always drives me crazy. So another thing you have on there that, um, talk, tells a story. Can, is can, trip I, I, can I, can I just jump in about the elephants real quick? Yeah, sure. Yeah. The, these activist groups, especially groups like PETA, they're out there and they're trying to paint with such a broad brush, trying to make the case that any animal in human care is mistreated or in some form of slavery, right? Yeah. I think we can all agree that animals, when they're in human care in a zoo or aquarium environment or whatever other environment, they need to be treated humanely. Mm -hmm. And sure, there are some bad apples out there that do bad things and we need to go after those folks and say that's wrong, right? I'm 100% supportive of that. But what these groups have done is they've almost, in a cult-like way, painted a picture of nature. And they're arguing, and they're starting with large, high-profile, emotionally-driven animals that appeal to the public. And they're trying to say that the animals all need to be released, free willy style, right? Yes. And they need to be let loose in nature. And what I tell people is, would you take your Yorkie that was raised in human care that was treated humanely and is loved and go drop them off in the middle of Yellowstone national park to be eaten by a grizzly bear. Yeah. That Yorkie isn't, wasn't raised in the wild, right? Is totally ill-equipped to survive. And yet the sickness of these group of people that think that this is humane, they killed Keiko. Yes. The whale that was released after free Willy. That was a horrible tragedy. That animal was chasing boats, looking for human interaction and food, he should have never, ever, ever been released. And they're trying to do it with elephants and other animals. And the problem is they constantly move the goalposts, yeah. right? Today it's orcas, tomorrow it's elephants. Then it's, you know, some other animal. Next thing you know, they say, well, you shouldn't have a dog because right. that's the dog didn't choose to be in human care, Right. Yeah, people are not knowledgeable about that. That's absolutely part of the agenda, and some of them don't even try to hide that. You know, it depends on where they are with their fundraising. I had right. Mark Simmons, who wrote the book Killing Kiko, on, and then I also had uh, Heather, one of the trainers of Lolita Toke, on as well to talk about that story because, again, it parallels so much what we're talking about with, you know, these poor elephants need to go back into the wild and elephant experts that I've had on are very clear about the fact without human intervention and um, breeding programs and research, elephants will be our dinosaurs before long. Um, which leads me to, so you're over in a, in a range country, you go to Southeast Asia on vacation and they tell you, don't ride the poor elephants. Don't support that. It's horrible. And TripAdvisor has gone along with that in their infinite wisdom. I know that's something you had on your website as well, something that just really burns me. And Dr. Dennis Schmidt, who's had the greatest success of the, the perpetuation of uh, Asian elephants outside of Southeast Asia, said it's, such, it's so misguided because 
the the income these families see from again a good operation. If it's not a good operation, don't support it. But there are a lot of legitimate good operations over there. These people live with their elephants. They're part of their world day in and day out. But that 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 funding not only helps support that animal, which I can attest to, taking care of an elephant is a very big tall order monetarily. But also, it would even provide an opportunity for somebody in the family to get an education. Now you go, well-meaning individuals get to Southeast Asia or some zoo that has been encouraged to get rid of their program where they actually come close one-on-one with animals. And TripAdvisor encourages that. So people think, well, it's TripAdvisor. That must be right. There must be horrible things going on. It's, it's just mind-boggling. How do we get the message out? And I'm actually talking today to Jack Hubbard, the executive director for the Center for Environment and Welfare, and posing a tall question to you, Jack. How do we, I know you guys are chipping away at it, but how do we, how do we push back on those type of things? You know, the only way we're going to be successful is if common sense people help spread the word. I mean, when you look at polling and you look at human psychology, the most credible group of people that someone is, you know, likely to listen to is quote, people like me, end quote. Mm. And it's not necessarily a doctor or neuroscience, you know, scientists, it's someone like me, someone I can relate to. And when you think about the hundreds of millions of people who attend zoos and aquariums every year around the world, which frankly are modern day arcs, right? Oh yeah. You've got threats of nature that didn't exist, you know, a hundred years ago. Yeah. These organizations are genetic, you know, gold mines for the preservation of species and conservation throughout the world. Yeah. People are voting with their feet, but the problem is you have some very, very wealthy individuals that are funding radicalized special interest groups that are putting pressure on corporations like TripAdvisor like travel companies, like airlines, like food companies, trying to push a point of view that frankly is anti-science. I mean, these people are almost science and conservation deniers. They are denying what works and what has been successful to save species. And when you look at their own tax returns and their operations, they spend very little on hands-on direct animal care compared to some of the groups that they're attacking. Absolutely. I have a saying when I was younger and um, I was the spokesperson for the exhibited animal industry, which included a lot of the circus animals that um, we are the experts. You're listening to people. I always say the animal rights groups, experts in fundraising and spinning a narrative and getting it out there. They should probably be consulted for college courses on that. They're really good at it, but they are not animal experts. The experts are the people. My mantra on this podcast is go see for yourself, go to the zoo, talk to the zookeeper, go talk to people, go see an exhibit, an animal, wherever it is, the, the marine mammal places, even rodeos, go talk to them, go see the circuses. And this is the, this, Push is not coming from those who go to the zoos or to go to these venues. It's, but it feels like it is because it's such, such a loud, the vocal minority, right? The loud voice. And so people get caught up in that and think there must be something to it because if there wasn't, 
They wouldn't be allowed to say those things. That's one of the threads I hear a lot. And I said, well, you know, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Number one in media training, right? So it's, it's sad. It's also, it's also a phony aura of activation by these groups. They say that they have all of these followers but when you think about it, when they protest the zoo, those people protesting outside were never going to go to that zoo or aquarium in the first place. Right. The people that are, you know, protesting the meat companies for raising animals, you know, farm raised animal protein, the folks sending emails to the CEO, they were never customers and yeah. they're never going to be customers. They're malnourished, protein deficient people who are very grumpy. Yeah. Right. And they're not happy. And yeah, absolutely. I, so People they're not contributing their dollars to whatever they're not buying the meat. They're not going to the zoo or the rodeo or the circus. They're not their customer base, which we have to remind a lot of venues and sponsors and stuff that these, this is not, you're hearing from the vocal minority. And um, it's hard though, because some of them just don't want to get sued. They'll say that. I know this isn't true. Would they just, if it's a board and it's a nonprofit, they don't want to get in the middle of it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very sad. And these, these stories stick and there's such an emotional narrative. So we're, we now have chat GPT. I don't know if you've had any fun on that or not. You're, you're a pretty busy guy. I go on it and ask it questions about animals. It's so incredibly disappointing how the narrative, I shouldn't be surprised, but if you're looking, if you're doing a research paper and you think, well, okay, I'm not going to just go on the internet. I'm going to do the AI thing. It's giving you exactly the same, um, the same narrative of animal rights are trying to take care of animals and, you know, whatever the venue is, pick a venue, marine mammal, zoo, circus, they're all horrible. The animals need to be turned loose. And, um, and then I challenge it because they say talk to it like it's an assistant, a person as opposed to a Google question and say, I've even said, shame on you. That's absolutely incorrect. I asked it if Ringling um, closed because of the animals and it said Ringling was sued and had to close when in fact Ringling won a major lawsuit against the animal rights groups, two of the big ones, at least two. And, uh, and then I said, what about that? And it came back it chat GPT and said there, Oh, there was something about that. So, you know, the narrative, you guys are the, the biggest ones out there. I think the, the highest profile telling some of these stories. And by the way, I believe I just saw some co- commercials from you folks with the pirate's yeah. treasure. It was that was yeah, yeah. yeah. Love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, your listeners your listeners can go to it's a microsite. Uh it's www.charitypirates.com. That's what it that's is. Okay. Charity Pirates and you know, it's an ad that's showcasing where these groups are keeping their money offshore. And I love it. There, there's even a parent who makes a guest appearance at the end. So, <laughs> Yeah, it was great. And you did, um, I, again, I, I'd known about some of the work that Rick and his associates have done over the years and probably yeah. as well. Um, but I, what brought me back kind of full circle was the ASPCA piece that went AP and, um, I, I picked it up on Fox, but yeah, that was the stats you just gave about the ASPCA, uh, CEO making almost a million and their offshore money. Yeah. You know, the words getting out, uh, Fox news 
did a great piece on our work uh, mm-hmm. that was featured on their homepage, which got a ton of traction. That was right. then picked up by New York Post, a whole lot of other people. Um, CBS News, believe it or not, even uh, did a story where I think the exact title of the story was, uh, you know, ASPCA money may not be used as donors expect, you know, mm-hmm. which was a softer way of, of raising some of the issues that we've raised, but they covered it. And at some point, I think the word's going to get out because this is too big a scandal. Um, it outrages a lot of folks when they learn the truth about these organizations. And what I tell everybody is save your breath and don't engage with these groups because they want you to talk about all the issues that they bring up, right? They want to frame the debate. They want to use their language and they want to put you on defense. And I say, you're playing their game. You're playing in a rigged casino. If you engage in a debate and conversation that way, what we need to be doing is flipping the script and going on offense and putting them on their back foot and saying, explain your exorbitant, executive compensation absolutely explain explain why this money's in the caribbean explain why you know some of these groups have even come out being opposed to having a seeing eye dog you know PETA's very very radical worldview i mean this is insane radical stuff yeah you know that a blind person shouldn't have a seeing eye dog that that's somehow cruel yeah you know that's really wacky and that and and there is no stretch of the truth in anything you're saying. If anything, you could you there's there's so much more to this story that I, I don't know about you, but I just tell people this in my world because while I grew up with animals and such, I married outside of the business, if you will. So I'm around folks who are didn't grow up with animals or haven't been around exotics or that type of thing. And while I have great credibility with them, it's, it, I just see in their face, it's like, I don't want to, you know, you're not lying, Heidi, but really, like, the, 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 the breadth of this, they can't, people can't get their arms around. So I love what you guys are doing with these commercials, because you're just putting it out there. And they've been doing that to us for, for you know, decades and uh, commercials. And that's where they spend their money. That's where they're spending right. their money. You guys are in the position where you're not taking care of animals, so you can actually spend money to push the marketing back at them. And well, and, and and you know what? From a branding perspective, I understand that some people are very cognizant of their brand or their reputation. And, and frankly, they're susceptible to bullying of these groups. That's right. And they're worried that their brand is going to be tarnished, their reputation. Well, you know what? I don't care. I can't stand a bully. Yeah. And maybe it's because I was born and raised in Queens, New York, but I sit there and I look at these people and I say, you are so full of it. And I really think this is a David and Goliath situation where you've got this big bully that's trying to put good people out of business. And frankly, that is pursuing in some cases policies that actually harm animals and the environment. Absolutely. And the polling that we've conducted shows and proves that these individual messages we are working with can take some of these organizations from a 75% approval rating, literally flip it where they have 70 plus percent disapproval, right? Right. I've been in Washington a long time. I have never seen messages 
that effective because their strength that they tap into the love of the animals. When people learn the truth mm-hmm. and when they learn that in many ways that these groups are exploiting donors and exploiting animals, the intensity that they benefit from flips and they are on the receiving end of it. So we need to tell more Love people it. the truth about these groups. Yeah, that's why I was so so uh, persistent in getting you on the podcast. And I know you wanted to as well. Again, you're just staying busy because this is a monumental effort. And the reason I started the podcast, um, having grown up in it, I knew the real story, you know, going back to circus elephants. I actually uh, helped encourage uh, animal owners who traveled to participate in a study out of Texas A&M, Dr. Ted Friend. It's one of the earlier episodes on Animal Tales. And um, he he measured their um, stress levels and cortisol and all of that type of stuff in traveling and in performing. And they, it, I thought it would come out this way, but I did think we needed the science to know for sure, because if it wasn't coming out that way, we needed to know and, and pivot and adjust what we did with our animals. But it came out actually that um, the animals had no stress. The biggest stress they saw from an animal was an animal who was held out of a performance <laughs> and heard the music. An elephant wasn't allowed to go perform. Right. The, the vehicles they traveled in, this was a big cat and elephant study, one of the only ones of its kind, and the USDA helped fund it, right? And I, I was one of the people who brought that together. There was a one similar in uh, England, uh, Marth Kylie Worthington, that the ARSPCA commissioned, our, their version of the ASPCA. They disavowed her because it came back. She was like, she was a scientist. Again, she didn't really care what, she wanted the science. She wasn't hanging paper for either side. So, you know, I've had them on this podcast, Dr. Friend, Dr. Dennis Schmidt, I've had on the podcast. These are all people who usually talk to animal groups, right? So we're preaching to our choir. I wanted right. to do the podcast to, to talk to people who aren't involved in this, in this world with animals, but care a lot about animals and maybe just help guide them. And I have this saying, there's the happy face emoji and the sad face. And quickly one gets applied to an animal story, right? The free the killer whale, it's like, oh, these, oh, the killer whale, you know, and then angry face, a circus elephant or a zoo elephant or whatever, right? Right. I contend that it's this emoji, the thinking, hmm, be thoughtful, be curious. The information is in the middle. And sometimes the solution is in the middle. Sometimes it's a dilemma like we have with our elephants and many of our animals. It's a dilemma. How do we solve this problem of not losing these animals and, but these, you couldn't be more correct that these animal rights groups are actually hampering efforts for the, the uh, experts to save these animals. And it's mind-boggling. And they're doing it with multi-million dollar war chests. And our side is, uh, you know, the side trying to save the animals truly as experts and figure these things out are dealing with, um, you know, a lot less in the way of funding. And so... Yeah. That, that was a huge catalyst for me. I always say, too, my friends got tired of hearing this. So if I do a podcast, kind of, that's my outlet then. They can listen you know, we, to me if they want to. <laughs> well, we, we need more folks like you because you're right. The megaphones that some of these organizations have built is tremendous. I mean, you have PETA out there 
cranking out a whole bunch of content that I think is nonsense. Uh, and then I sit there and say, do most people realize that this is an organization, PETA, right? That operates a shelter that killed, I think last year it was almost 2000 animals it received. 80% of the animals it received at its shelter in Norfolk, Virginia were killed. Yep. And now here you are and other people saying, let me show you this study to disprove and let me show you the cortisol levels of animals and zoos or wherever, right? Stress levels. Guess what? There's no cortisol levels of the near 50,000 cats and dogs that PETA has killed since 1998. Yep. Because these people have this angel of death, you know, weird view that they're going to put these animals down and euthanize them. I would much rather be living in a zoo or aquarium with humane treatment, care, and veterinary services than have the death sentence that occurs to eight out of 10 of the animals that show up at PETA's shelter. They, they truly know? believe the animals are dead or off, better off dead than living with humans. I mean, it's Ingrid crazy. Newkirk, that comes directly from her, you know, um, yeah. it's crazy. But And people are donating money because, again, they play at that emotional heartstring. So we have our work cut out for us. So, Jack, what would you say, you know, again, hopefully the the listeners to this podcast are not the zoo community or those folks. These are lay people who are just trying to figure out how they can help or maybe, you know, get the right guidance. What what would your message be to them? You know, my first message would be friends don't let friends donate to the ASPCA <laughs> Humane Society or PETA. Right. (laughs) So that's number one. I mean, if you have a mission in life, you know, at Thanksgiving or wherever, you need to tell people not to, you know, make a poor decision uh, in in the donation of their hard earned dollars. You know, anybody who donates wants the money to be used efficiently and for something that they believe in. And if you do want to help animals, Number one, if as you're looking to help cats and dogs, you should do some research on your local shelter or rescue. And if you want to help animals in the wild, go check out your local zoo or aquarium and learn about what they're doing. Oftentimes they're doing more than a lot of these national NGOs who might be doing big direct mail pieces with elephants and this at the other. Right. With great names. With great names. And you dig into their tax returns and it's all about public education as opposed to hands-on animal care. The zoos and aquariums and the veterinarians on the ground are the ones that are doing more work than anybody, I would contend, to save species. Absolutely. I think it's the World Animal Protection and World Wildlife Fund, all these great names. Oh, their CEO. Their CEO used to work for Bed Bath & Beyond. So we have a soap salesman who is out there lecturing everybody on animal welfare and animal care and trying to get companies to follow his lead. And I go, what is your experience? You, yeah. you, you, you worked at a shampoo company. <laughs> I love it. I'm so glad you're out here in the mix. That's great. We, we need so much more of it. Yeah. And um, I have started listing the folks that they can uh, contribute to International Elephant Foundation. I've profiled them on this podcast several times and mentioned them as a great resource. And yes, your local zoo. And here's what I tell people about the zoos and shelters, particularly. 
when you're talking to them, if they're selling out a rodeo or a circus or, or some other, some other entity to make their point, then to me that puts the kibosh on it right there because they're looking for a way to raise funds by throwing somebody else under the bus. There are things I don't agree with. When it comes to actual animal abuse, I completely agree. I will stand up and, and cite it, or and I've done that. I'm, I believe in that. But just the, the thought that because they're in human care or because of this or that, that it's, it's a, a bad situation for the animals couldn't be further from the truth. So, you know, I'm trying hard to get people to really look at where to contribute their money and keep a, a tally of that. One of my favorite organizations is Canine Companions, uh, the guide dog folks. And then in Florida, we have Southeastern Guide Dogs. What a great, a great mission. They do amazing work. And um, it's a great way to contribute money to help animals and people. I, we give, I swear, we give more money to the animals than, you know, the people. Not that it's one or the other, but we should at least be mindful of what we're doing. And and the other part of it is, listen for when you hear a Sarah McLaughlin, is she ever going to get wise to the fact that she's part of this this uh, fundraising? I mean, it's kind of interesting that somebody hasn't gotten her ear. Uh, and where are those people for our side? I think Jason Aldean is, is uh, ripe for the picking. Right. right, right. I think he'd, yep. he'd come yep. right on board. He's not having any of this right now. Yeah, you know, the, the country music crowd, they, they do seem to be willing to stand up for their point of view in a way that a lot of other people uh, who are famous and, yeah. you know, get, get attention in our culture tend to just back down. So maybe you're right. Maybe that's the well, next phone call. I, I believe the reason for that is perhaps the fact that they live on, a lot of them live on, farms or property where they have some kind of animals, maybe just horses and dogs. Some have a, you know, a herd of cattle or such. So they're very real. When you start going out and physically feeding animals, anything, especially beyond a dog and an animal that could hurt you if it's not behaved or if you don't maintain best practices and the care of those animals, right? That becomes very real. Your emotion, I'm a third generation animal trainer and caretaker. And we don't allow the emotion to get involved. We use best practices, uh, updates in science and technology, generational experience, and then you've got a great program, right? We're trying to get rid of the generational experience by pushing them out, these groups. And um, a, a great example, Blackfish. I watched that once, and then I watched again, and I made myself look for numbers, data, statistics, facts, anything that would would uh, make their story credible. All I heard was a lot of emotion and it worked really well, didn't it? You know? Right, right. That, yeah. that, that, that was intended to raise millions and millions of dollars, right, from individuals in this whole outrage campaign. Yeah. And all of these groups jumped on the bandwagon. But the truth of it is when you look at the numbers, SeaWorld does an incredible amount of work oh. for conservation, rescue, rehabilitation. It's unbelievable, yes. But they won't tell you that. You I know, know. These groups, they just want to peddle the outrage. Um, yeah. And it's sad. It, it's sad to see that animals are being exploited by fundraising operations. Exactly. As opposed to people who genuinely want to care for them. 
right. and help them. Love the experts who love, care for, and work with the animals. And by the way, SeaWorld, I say the same thing. I love SeaWorld. They do unbelievable work. Their park is a small part of what they do. It's the it's the uh, saving and taking care of animals and rehabbing. And they're the ones who get called. PETA's not the one there pulling that, that injured dolphin out with a group, you know. They're not there in the middle of winter when the farmers are trying to break the ice off of the blizzard and get their animals in. And I say but that all the time. They're, they're in their cushy offices with their six figures, all these groups. And they're not there. They're not out in the field with the animals. But Heidi, why would you ever call PETA? I mean, if you if you took an animal to their shelter, eight out of ten of them are being Can euthanized. It, that's right. That's <laughs> no. right. I mean, you you would never want to call these people when you look at their track record of hypocrisy, and yet they run around and protest everybody. But the funny thing about PETA, or the ironic thing, is when you look at the list of folks that they've protested, they've literally protested everybody. At almost every company, all oh, of yeah. these celebrities, and guess what? Everybody is still in business. Everybody's still doing their thing. They're a paper tiger. Yeah, they don't have as much influence as they pretend they have. I honestly have worried more about HSUS um, because they looked much more mainstream and didn't do the silliness of PETA and um, spent their time walking the halls and being very credible around uh, legislators and that. And I think ASPCA probably falls in the middle. And then the other thing, and I'll post this in show notes, the activist web, but these groups um, support uh, PETA had a direct tie to the animal liberation front. They supported years ago, they firebombed some of our circus trucks and they've turned animals. They've done all kinds of things. They go to farms and turn animals loose and cause chaos and um, they're, they are, it was early in the early days, Louis Free, I believe this early 2000s FBI director, declared animal rights terrorism as the most single recognizable issue of domestic terrorism in the United States. Obviously, that's changed a bit. We've been through a lot more now, but that was huge at the time. And I lived in fear because I was an animal trainer and we had exotic animals and I, I, this is exactly what the Supreme Court justice, that, that whole episode, I'm losing track of time, maybe within the last year, they went to their homes, they blasted air horns. Do you remember this? Um, probably during the Roe v. Wade episode. So they, they caused a huge uh, issue at their homes. Their neighbors were over it, and they they didn't really stop it. You know what I mean? They let They did that with scientists. I remember lab scientists who were, they were threatened, their lives were threatened, you know? It's the right, same, right. it's harassment, it's wrong, and it should be penalized at the highest level. And instead, you just get people buying into it more and more and funding it. Some of these, some of these groups, I mean, you mentioned PETA and how the Humane Society and ASPCA, I sometimes like to say those groups are essentially PETA, in suits, deodorant, and Rolex watches, right? <laughs> they they share many of the same beliefs Absolutely. and philosophy, right? Yes. And then you have these other fringe groups mm-hmm. that are literally breaking into farms, yes, stealing animals, stealing property, threatening people, and you have courts and a handful of more liberal 
you know, blue states that are letting them off the hook. Yes. And it is so wrong. I mean, it's a biosecurity risk to the animals. Yes. It's a welfare risk to the animals. And it's a complete violation of the law. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that then they, um, what happens, I always say, they get incited. They, unlike you and I, who know better than to believe what these groups are telling us, and then you have the middle people who are giving them money, but they're not causing any damage, physical damage. They just believe that everybody who holds an exotic animal particularly is doing something wrong. And then you get these lower level, these not lower level, but people who get incited by these that were that animals are being, you know, not cared for or mistreated or outright abuse. And they're going to go fix it. So you incite these people who maybe aren't thinking straight to begin with, and they get fired up and they go out and cause havoc. And animals die in that process. That's the sad part of it. Um, and businesses yeah. get put out of business, and it's it's just wrong. And that's why I was so excited to have you on to talk about this and how we can keep, you know, keep uh, hammering away at this. I've had Protect the Harvest on, the National Animal Interest Alliance, um, these different groups that were all in the same, uh, trying to tell the same story. So I'm just trying to chip away at it one podcast at a time. <laughs> well, thank, thanks for doing it. And, and to raise, you know, to tap into the point you raised a minute ago, I think everyone agrees there's a mental health crisis in this country. Oh, I think, and, and we can debate why and who and what caused it. But unfortunately you now have these groups almost in a cult like way, preying upon people, convincing them that a chicken and a child are equivalent in moral value or yeah. that, you know, a child and a rat need to be treated equally. Otherwise it's speciesism or you're a specious or I, I don't even know what crazy language they're using but when people start to believe that, you can see how they can justify in their head some of these really wild behavior and criminal yeah. activity because they think that they're saving the equivalent of a child or that you're abusing an animal because you're caring for it in, you know, in an environment that's enriched. They view that as wrong. Right. It's not so the wild. It, yeah. And you have PETA that is running a brainwashing propaganda campaign targeted at children. Yeah, right? it's dangerous. They are trying to, they, some of these groups have very sophisticated platforms where they're trying to get, um, they're teaching materials in public school systems, Yes, uh, which I've actually seen them successfully do. We see them launching campaigns on social media. That's really designed to brainwash the next generation that it's immoral to eat meat then an animal should never be in human care. And, you know, you can go on and on down the list until you get to this point where we're equating children and people, you know, with a, with a rat. Yeah. And it's really wacky. And they have law, um, law courses in law schools, animal rights law to figure out how they're going to close down these type of things. And it's, it's, it's scary. So while, you and I are telling this story that, you know, don't give them money or whatever. It goes well beyond that. It's changing the fabric of our country and our culture and not in a way that allows us to live harmoniously with animals. And you know, that's the scary part. We, we uncovered um, 
what I think is a massive pay to play uh, scheme in the journalism field where we were looking at newspapers and tracking all of the negative coverage that's been targeting farms, animal farms, right? Animal farming is the cause of climate change. This said, right. there are a lot of things attacking. We go, where is this coming from? Well, we found that there's this handful of very, very wealthy left-wing elitists who made a lot of money in the tech sector who are funding these newspapers to essentially pay for reporters to cover animal agriculture and tie it to climate change. I mean, you hear about this and you go, this is the most unethical, crazy thing. And guess what all most of these people have in common? It's the same group of people that are funding these animal rights groups. They're trying to weaponize the environmental issues, the climate change arguments, the difficulty that the newspapers are having right now. And they're saying we can control the narrative. Mm -hmm. We can we can take over the cultural conversation and turn the entire next generation against, you know, science based animal welfare and get people to adopt something closer to animal liberation. And I think we all need to do everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Every time I'm around animals, my friends have animals, some elephant ranches, that type of thing. And they let people, you know, they're allowed to have contact or have a kid feed the animal, the look on their faces. And we just have to keep doing that because you, you will not have that experience through CGI or National Geographic or any of that, you know. Um, and, you know, keep up the good fight, Jack. You guys are awesome. I, I'll give you the last word if there's anything you want to leave listeners with. You know, I just want to leave listeners with Heidi. We couldn't do it without people like you that have the guts to stand up and create platforms where folks like myself and others can share the truth. And, you know, we need probably a hundred more of you uh, to be out there spreading the word. So I'll just leave everybody feel free to visit uh, environment and welfare.com. You can follow what we're doing and you know, this Thanksgiving or what next holiday, tell your family, tell your friends again, friends don't let friends donate to HSUS ASPCA or PETA. I love that. <laughs> That's a great message. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for all you do. All right. Thanks, Heidi. Well, there certainly is a lot of information to take away and unpack here. You can do your own homework on this. Again, look at Charity Navigator. Ask the groups themselves where their money goes. Ask, look at the accounting that's available because they are nonprofits. And as I say on every episode, when you can, go see for yourself. Talk to the folks who are at zoos. Talk to the folks who have exhibited animals. If you go to a rodeo, talk to the folks there. If you go to Southeast Asia, do your homework. Talk to the folks there. If you're privileged enough to go and get close to an elephant, by all means, if it's a good program, do it. It's in the best interest of the animals. Again, these folks are not animal experts. They're fundraising experts. And more and more, this is becoming uh, disclosed and we can only hope that folks like Jack Hubbard are continue to tell that story and others join him. Again, thank you for listening. As always, I really appreciate 
you're listening to these stories, and I do hope you'll share them. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any. Rate and review it. And I hope you'll join me next time for more Animal Tales. <laughs>